Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter, starting in verse 28. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We pray with me. Gracious and holy God, touch our minds and our hearts today to be about you and your work. Quiet our souls, quiet our minds and our heart, that we might turn toward you. Precious God, I, I ask that you touch my, my mouth, my lips, my tongue, my proclamation, but my heart especially, that I might proclaim your good news. Help me to step out of the way and preach for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love that movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's probably one of my favorite scenes where they're heading down the wrong way. And, and uh, Steve Martin, who plays the character Neil Page in the movie, has difficulty recognizing that they're going the wrong way because he'd been sound asleep. And uh, prior to the opening of that clip, uh, the guy that played John Candy, he had fallen asleep at the wheel and the ice and the snow he'd spun, and that's how they were headed in the wrong direction. We're beginning a sermon series today entitled Running on Fumes. How many here feel like you're running on fumes from time to time? A few hands went up. And if we're truthful with ourselves, I think that this is a series that most of us can relate to at one time or another, no matter what journey we're in, no matter what chapter we're in in our journey. We have a world today that seems to be fast-paced, doesn't it? We have express everything and instant things that happen. We have instant oatmeal and instant pudding. We have an ATM machine where we can go get cash at just a pin number. Now, my grandchildren used to think that that was the magic machine, that if I'd say something like, I don't have the money to be able to do that, kids, they'd say, well, just go to that box and, and get that money and we'll go do that. You know, you have to have money in the account. That's what I tried to explain, the money in the account before that box will just give you money. So we live in this fast-paced world. We have express lanes in grocery stores and online shopping that Amazon Prime delivers the next day. And so all of this advancement and time-saving, you would think that we have more time to be able to spend it with family and friends, more time to be able to uh, study God's Word and pray and be in those small groups that, that allow us to go deeper in, in God's word. But studies show something else. Studies show that we spend more time doing what? Work. We spend more and more time at work. In turn, creating more and more deadlines and crunches and more and more stress. So recent studies show that people are working longer these days longer than ever before. With advancements in technology like emails and text messages and voicemail and social media, it's all at our fingertips 
and work can find you no matter where you are, right? And so we're spending more and more time in work. You see, during the Great Depression, when this country was going through such difficulties in, in finding people jobs and, and work was something that um, we were struggling with, the work hour week went down to 30 to 35 hours. And people started to associate their lack of work with scarcity and that depression. And then after the depression was over, the work week came back up to 40 hours, and that seemed to be the accepted norm. Now then, in today's society, the work week has inched its way up to 50, even 60 hours a week. It's no wonder we're tired, right? And it's all done by society in the name of progress. Well, Benjamin Klein Hunnicutt in the book In Work Without End states this. During the last half century, we've begun to lose the fabric of family, culture, and community that give meaning to life outside the workplace. The traditional rituals, the socializing, and the simple pleasure of one another's company all provided structure for the non-work time, offering people a sense of purpose and belonging. So where did we get our purpose and belonging? We got it from the non-work time, right? With being with people that we loved and enjoyed their company. He says, without this experience of being part of a people and a place, Leisure leads more often to loneliness and boredom. Because life outside the workplace has lost vitality and meaning, work has ceased being a means to an end and become an end in itself. So now where are we finding our identity and our community? Not with the people that we love and not with the people's company that we enjoy. We're finding it where? In work. And this is the... The reason that we're going 50 and 60 hours, and when we do have leisure time, we actually feel, as Honeycutt quoted, bored. You know, it's no wonder that the millennial generation is starting to be known as the burnout generation. Do you know that? The burnout generation. Only one in seven adults, 14%, set aside a day a week for rest. And out of those who say they set aside a day a week for rest, only a small percent, only one in five, say that they don't do any work that day. And there is a fact that also that only 12% of Americans say that they intentionally set aside a day where they don't touch electronics. The first thing I pick up in the morning is, I can say I'm not one of those, okay? I pick up my phone because my phone has my calendar on it and all of that. And so there's only 12% of Americans say they intentionally set aside a time where they don't touch their phone or iPad or any kind of electronics. Brene Brown, who's an author and a speaker, well-known, says this about burnout. She says, if you don't want to suffer burnout, stop running around like you're always on fire. That's so true, isn't it? Sometimes we create our own. We create our own busyness. We create our own stress because we find it comfortable. 
I was explaining the process of becoming an ordained United Methodist minister the other day to a small group in our friendship club, and because there's a lot that goes along with that, a lot of work that, that takes place with that, and, and Pastor Sean is in the middle of that right now. He's going to be coming up for commissioning, and, and when you even mention that interview, he kind of gets a little stressed. And, um, and so there's a lot that goes with that. There's there's written paperwork, there's oral interviews, you have to have a physical exam, and you have to have a psychological exam. Well, as I was explaining all of this to the small group, I started to reflect on my psychological exam many years ago. Pastor Tim's told you a little bit about the experience he had at his psychological exam where the instructor uh, said to him that he was not allowed to use his son's pink eye medicine. <laughs> and so, but this one, I was on my way uh, to my psychological review and I was with a young gentleman who was going through the process as well and I was kind of puffed up. You know, I was kind of puffed up and self-righteous. I thought, well, if Mark can make it, I can make it. You know, I, you know I, I don't think this is going to be a big deal at all. And so I sit down uh, with the psychologist, and the first question he asked me is, have you ever had any problem with drugs? What? I know my eyes bugged out. And I said, no, sir, I have never had any problem with drugs. And then he says, well, then have you had any problems with alcohol in your past? No, my gosh, I thought to myself, I'm going to flunk my psych exam. Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, all these things start running through my mind. Oh, my gosh, what has he found about me? He knows I'm crazy. <laughs> my gosh. And, you know, all this was going through my heart and my mind, and I started to panic a little bit. And, and then he said this to me. Well, are you addicted to your work? Uh-oh. You see, I had tested out to have an addictive personality. On the test, what he had done is he'd found out that I had been focused so much on work, so much that I was out of balance with the rest of my life. And so he picked up on that in the psychological exam. And so, you know, I realized I am a workaholic in many ways. Joe's known, about, known that about me for years. I, I grew up in a household where my dad was out of the Great Depression, and so work was constant in our family. And dad found worth in his work. And so that just kind of picked up in me. You know, and so work had become my comfort. Maybe even my escape from listening to God's voice. So I was going in the wrong direction. I was going in the wrong way. The psychologist was saying, you're going the wrong way. And I didn't recognize what was happening to me. I was so focused on preaching the good news, raising up leaders, making disciples for Jesus Christ, studying God's word, all good stuff, right? But I had lost my sense of rest. I had lost it. I was focused on these good and wonderful labors of love, but I neglected that important part of rest that brings it all in balance. And there was a reason that Jesus went away to be quiet. There was a reason that he showed us to go away in a quiet place, away from the crowds, to rest and to pray and to renew. 
It was the same balance that God had put in place in creation. For six days, God created, and on the seventh day, he rested. And since my focus was all on work, I'd lost that balance. Even though it was great things, I had lost my balance. And I started to have some symptoms. Maybe you recognize some of these symptoms when you're fatigued or you're tired, exhausted, and drained. Symptoms like insomnia, frustration or irritability. I kind of get a little irritable, don't I, honey, whenever I'm tired. Small bit, yeah, just a small little bit. He's being sweet. Lack of organization, isolation. I wanted to run away. Have you ever experienced any of those? That may mean that you're tired. You're exhausted, not only physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And when I begin to recognize these symptoms, I know that I am running on fumes. My gas gauge is really low. Now then, this cutout here is a gas pump from a long time ago, and Don Morton wanted me to ask how many people have actually used a pump like this. Yeah, uh-huh, a few of us, right? I hate to go fill up my car at the gas station. I, how many of you have ever run out of gas totally and been stranded on the side of the road? A few, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm not alone, thank goodness. Well, being aware of the gas gauge is something I do not do well, church, at all. In fact, I'm blowing and going most of the time, and... You know, I don't even realize it sometimes when the low fuel light pops on. And when I do see it, then I think, oh, I can go a little bit further. I can go a little bit further. This drives my daughter, Laura, the one who sings here on occasion, it drives her insane. Uh, one time we were uh, in Harrisburg, I just picked her up from her home. We were going out to the Ohio River to spend some family time together. And my gas gauge was already, the light was already on. And we're um, going through Harrisburg, and I pass a perfectly good gas station on the left-hand side of the road, and I head toward the river. And Laura's going, Mom! Your gas, oh, we can make it to the middle. There's a gas station down that way. We can make it. To, and as we got closer and closer, I kept saying, I don't know if we're going to make it. And she'd say, Mom, I am not walking. I am not walking. You're walking. <laughs> and I do this all the time. She says, Mom, you do this all the time to me. Well, running on fumes for our mind and our body and our soul is pushing that last little bit, thinking you can make it just a little further Finally realizing that you're going in the wrong direction. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. The message translation puts it this way. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God. Step out of the traffic. Step out of the busyness. 
the schedules, the calendar, the workflow, the electronics. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God. Well, the first step out of the traffic or any change in direction is recognizing it, right? What are the things that drain you? What are the things? If you could identify three things, what are the three things that drain you, exhaust you? Can you recognize them? Are there areas in your life that maybe you're toward the empty mark? Family, work, community, friendships. Are there areas that are the low fuel light is blinking? And once you recognize that, what do you do about it? Well, Jesus tells us in the scripture that Pastor Tim read just a little while ago, he says, come to me, all who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. I know you're struggling. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. You're carrying heavy things around, burdens around with you. I will give you rest. Jesus is describing many of us, isn't he? That stressed out feeling, battling fatigue, our nerves are on edge. We're like that old Peanuts comic strip. It shows Linus holding his blanket, you know, that famous flannel blanket. And he says, only one yard of flannel between me and a nervous breakdown. <laughs> we're kind of that way. We're holding tight. Actually, we're holding tight. As Linus was holding tight to the blanket, we're holding tight to the wrong things, church. Holding tight to the wrong things. Jesus says, put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. It's encouraging, isn't it? But what does it mean? Most of us can visualize that old yoke that was in the time of the oxen pulling um, to plow the field or to do the harvest. That two, there's a crossbar with two U-shaped pieces that encircle the necks of a pair of oxen. That's the yoke that we kind of envision in our mind. And this beautiful interpretation of the text is that when we're yoked to Jesus, we don't have to pull the burdens alone. We don't have to pull all those things that are weighing us down alone. We can give that over to Jesus and we know we're not alone in that and that he will help us carry that, lift it from our souls. Maybe you have identified things that exhaust you, things that you're carrying. Maybe it's a broken relationship that's keeping you up all night long and you can't sleep. And you just toss and turn and you worry about how this is going to get mended. Or maybe it's a fear that drains you. Or maybe it's a fear of loss or a fear of scarcity. Whatever that is, you're yoked to Christ in it. And he could carry that with you, for you. In 1863, the Civil War was raging and the end was far in sight. 
And Abraham Lincoln was out on a ride with a friend of his um, and an aide, Noah Brooks. And Brooks noticed as they were riding that the president was looking pretty fatigued. And he said to President Lincoln, he said, how about a rest? How about we take a time for a rest? And Lincoln replied this, a rest? I don't know about a rest. I suppose it's good for the body. But the tired part of me is inside and out of reach. Lincoln was acknowledging an important truth, that sometimes taking our burdens to God is not the easiest thing to do, is it? We don't want to be still because we don't want to hear what God might have to say to us. And so we create busyness. We create more so that we don't have to be still and listen for God's voice. In choosing to omit the balance of rest in our lives, we are literally turning away from God. Turning away. Going in the wrong direction. Fatigue that comes from worry is looking away from God. Fatigue that comes from worrying about the future or things that happened in the past or trying to be something that we're not turns us away from God. And when this happens, when we recognize it, then we must turn toward God and remember that the power of the cross yokes us to Jesus Christ. Taking those burdens to Christ, resting in his peace, is what he's calling us to do because he wants what's best for us. Why do you think God put the pattern of rest in creation? Why do you think Jesus went away to a quiet place, away from the crowds in isolation, to show us the best life, to show us how to be, to turn toward God. You see, you're more than your work, church. You are God's beloved child. You're not identified in your work. You're identified as a child of God. When we baptized Lucy, we marked her as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And she, her identity is in that. Not in what she will do or choose to do in her life as a vocation, but who she is as a child of God. God wants for us what's best. So I ask you what drains you, what brings you life? Maybe think of three things that bring you life. Sit and contemplate on that. Sit and contemplate and rest in God's arms. Because God will give us this opportunity to see God's goodness in our lives. Amen. Come to me. All you who are weary and tired. And I will give you rest, Jesus says. This is how the message translates those words. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, Jesus says. Learn the unforced, unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitted on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. God loves you and God wants what's best for 